Welcome to season two of the Get Out of Teaching podcast presented by Larksong Enterprises. I'm your host, Elizabeth Diakos. In this season, we'll meet ex-teachers who have taken their hobbies and passions from outside of education and created a new career for themselves. We'll talk to people who can support and inspire us as we make the transition and work on identifying the legacy we want to leave in the world. So come along for the ride as we get out of teaching. Episode 14. Hi everyone and welcome to the show. On today's show, I'm very pleased to be uh, interviewing Steve Liddell from Street Science. Welcome to the show, Steve. G'day, Elizabeth. Nice to be joining you today. Thanks so much for coming on the show because I'm really excited to hear your story. Steve, tell us what got you into teaching in the first place. Well, interesting story, mate. Um, so I've been uh, out of teaching for about eight years. And before that, I taught for eight years. Um, so to get into teaching itself, when I went through university, I did a science degree originally. And, uh, and I graduated with environmental science up here in Queensland. And uh, there was just simply no work around. So which is interesting, four-year degree. And uh, took me until uh, graduation day to realise that uh, there's probably 100 people going for every job that popped up in my field. I thought I was going to be out cutting four-wheel drive tracks and cuddling koalas and living up there with all the rangers, but it wasn't to be. So I did some travelling, went over to uh, Europe and spent 12 months travelling around. And when I came back to Australia, I was early 20s and I really wanted to get into a career where I was going to be guaranteed work. And, uh, and I loved working with kids and uh, thought teaching was going to be that career. And it was. And I had a great time while I was teaching as well. Okay, so you taught for eight years and then was that all in Queensland? Yeah, it was. It was. So I graduated from uh, the Catholic Uni, the Australian Catholic Uni, and I went straight into a high school co-ed um, sort of college, uh, run of the mill, lots of army families, that sort of thing, really down-to-earth clientele, which was great. Where was and that? Which... That was out at uh, Inogra in Mitchelton in the north uh, western suburbs of Brisbane. Right, so in Brisbane, and because I know there are army, there's an army base up in Townsville. But there is right down in Brisbane. Yeah, we've got one at Inogra, which was just down the road from our school. So I taught math, science, religion, IT, um, bit of business studies, some HPE. As a young bloke, that's what you do, isn't it? You uh, you dive in and you take whatever's thrown at you. And I had a book. HPE, health and PE. Yeah, health and okay. health and physical right. education. Yeah, nice. Okay, just checking because I think we've all got different um, acronyms depending on where you're we from. Do. Okay, yeah. so so you taught for eight years and it sounds like you still had that really sort of science PE, outdoor ed kind of, um, you know, I guess subject method, methods that you taught. Um, what, what was that like for you? Like, did you, you said you liked the kids. What was the highlight for you? Um, well, I spent my first five years teaching on the junior campus of high school. So I had grade eights, nines and tens. And then our seniors were up on another campus at that point in time. We've since amalgamated and uh, become one college. So I was teaching the uh, sort of junior high school and teaching a variety of subjects. Um, loved it. Uh, loved the science in particular with all the practical aspects of it and really enjoyed showing the kids and contextualising what they were learning about. But the last couple of years, um, what I did, I did about five years just general classroom teaching. Then I went up to the senior campus and designed a new course. It was called Science 21, which was, uh, which was one of the subjects I did through uni, but it wasn't taught in many places. Okay. And it was all about 
ultra project-based learning and really big, highly contextualised units of work. So we did a unit on horticulture. We did a unit on aquaculture where we get all these tanks and the kids have to breed fish and it'd take them between three and six months to do a unit of work and really practical and really meaningful. So I did that. And, uh, and as you climb the ladder, as you know, Elizabeth, in education, I didn't go down that uh, curriculum path. I went down a pastoral pathway. In the last two years of my classroom teaching, I was the year nine pastoral coordinator. So dealing with all the behaviour management stuff um, associated with grade nine kids. And as uh, your listeners and the viewers know, grade nine, what are we talking, 14, 15-year-olds? Boys and girls in the one school, plenty to keep me busy. And, uh, and I loved it. But that was the start of me, I suppose, getting out of teaching as well. Right, yes, yeah, so there's a Richard Tulloch uh, play called Year Niner Animals. I'm sure you could relate to that. So how, what, was the, what was the tipping point then for getting out of teaching? Yeah, there was a few factors that all came together, but uh, one of the big things that I noticed doing that pastoral side of things was we had kids who were disengaging and they were disengaging for a number of different reasons. But what I noticed was some patterns as I started to dive into it a bit deeper. I had these kids who were getting kicked out of class and sent to me pretty regularly in a particular learning environment. And then there were, I'd go and have a chat to another teacher and the teachers would say, little Sally or Jade, he's good as gold in my class. And what it came down to is pedagogy. And there's good ways to teach maths and science. And there's some dry, more traditional ways to do it. Um, and I saw setting up street science as a way to ensure that there is lots of really practical, lively, high energy science being taught around Queensland schools and now around um, national schools. One of the things that, um, that really, I suppose, encouraged me to get out um, was the, um, the way some people in thinking about education purely from a curriculum perspective, things being really black and white and working with behaviour management, you really see that nothing's black and white with teenage kids. It's very grey, so I struggled a bit there. Um, with real clear deadlines and defined stuff. So I started banging heads with a few of the powers that be, um, sort of sticking up for the kids a bit more than maybe I should have. So that encouraged me to, um, to look for other alternatives. But the big one, as I said earlier, we were heading towards amalgamating. So two campuses coming together, looking to grow as a high school, and we needed some really creative marketing. So myself and another teacher, shout out to Jeff, um, he was a senior physics teacher, I was teaching grade 12s for Science 21. What we did was for National Science Week, over a couple of years, we went out to local feeder schools and we did science shows. And we trained up our year 11 and 12 students to do the demos. And we were there on the microphone teaching the science. We'd go to the local schools, we'd have a few hundred kids in the hall and they were treating our um, senior students like absolute rock stars. They were screaming and shouting and we'd give away promotional material at the end of the shows. And that was the key for me, seeing this beautiful market that was out there for high energy science education being taken into primary schools. And that's what uh, street science. Well, so you didn't, it wasn't like you got driven out by the, the angst or the, the drama with the sort of higher ups. It was really your passion for being able to share that, that style of learning in a wider context. Yeah, I, you know, we, we've all sat around in staff rooms and I didn't want to sit there and let politics and let those the red tape sort of get to me. I was in my, 
uh, late 20s um, when I stepped out of teaching and my wife, um, who's still with me today, which is, uh, which is remarkable, um, was just so supportive. We had young kids. We had like a 12-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, something like that. And, you know, all, all this pressure, but, you know, took that leap of faith and we made it happen because I saw purpose and I saw a reason. I didn't want to sit there whinging in a staff room. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And so it sounds like though she was really supportive, your wife was really supportive of that vision and was prepared to, I guess, wear some of that risk as well. Yeah, definitely. And you, you don't always get that reward without risk and stepping out of education and stepping out of the comforts of our, it's not a nine to five, but let's call it a nine to five job where you're guaranteed work and you're guaranteed your leave and your steady income. It is a really scary thing. Don't get me wrong. Stepping out of that comforting environment where you know your trade, you know what you're good at, you know where your paycheck's coming from. And a lot of us have permanent employment in the education system as well. So it is a real leap of faith, but gee whiz, definitely for me, it was worth it. And there's doubters and there's people who back you and sort of everything in between as well, which I'm sure will. Yeah. So, so as you were leaving, I mean, obviously financial security must've been an issue with a young family. What was your biggest fear making that transition? I, I don't think it was the fear of not being able to pay the bills because there, there's ways to earn money. You know, if you need to go and get a second job while you set up a business, you go and do it. If you really want to make it work, I honestly believe that you'll do it and you'll make it a success. Yeah, so the, the biggest issue was probably the unknown. Um, I was creating a business from the ground up that simply didn't exist. And that was probably the, the scariest thing for me. Um, not so much whether it's going to work, but how do I make it work? Yeah, because we'll find a way. Just have to work out how it all comes together. Yeah, okay. And so did you find that you had transferable skills that you took out of your education role and into the new role? Yeah, definitely. And I honestly feel, and the more I work outside of education, I really notice that the skills that we gain as educators, being able to time manage, being really clear, high quality communicators, um, you know, dealing with high pressure, stressful environments, having to um, dance at different times and work, create workarounds when things don't quite uh, go to plan. They're skill sets that teachers have. As soon as you've got a couple of years under your belt, you're probably, the teachers who are listening in today probably don't realise how huge their skill set is and how valuable that is in different work environments. And I'm still in education, but as a business owner now and as a performer, um, those, that skill set is so valuable going out there into the workforce. And people really respect it. It's amazing, is that when you're up in front, front of a class, it's like being on a stage all day. It is, yeah. And that's why our teachers are so tired when they go home. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, because you, you're switching on, whether it's a 45-minute lesson in high school or whether it's that uh, hour and 45 session to get through the morning tea, you are turning it on and you're performing and you're thinking about a hundred different things whilst you're talking. And those skills, they are so, um, you know, so relatable in so many different fields. Mm. So as you were sort of setting up your own business, did you need to do any further study or training to gain 
the skills and the information that you needed to set up your business? Not initially. I did a lot of reading. Um, the internet is an absolute wealth of knowledge. State government um, resources, just basic um, Business Queensland websites like that and around the country, there's plenty of those, um, are really, really informative if you're willing to go looking for the information. You know, I'm eight years into business now and I wish I knew some things um, back when I kicked off that I know now, but that's the learning curve and that's okay mm. um, to fail at a few things along the way and give it a go and have a laugh at yourself and try again. But I, I did do a particular training um, system which is called Queensland Leaders which is now in Victoria in New South Wales and over in New Zealand all over the place and that was just an opportunity for me to surround myself with people who are in the legal profession who are in accounting who are business coaches all those different people just to tap into them and go for coffee and that sort of thing and that was hugely valuable for me. Right so that was like a, a like a networking group? Yeah 100% so every month we'd go and do a three-hour training session followed by um, a couple of cold beers and a glass of wine and just network and catch up with people at any time I needed an introduction. I'd go and have a chat to the people who run it and say, hey, um, I've got myself in a pickle here. I'm considering franchising. I had no idea how to go about it. And they'd say, hey, Steve, I'll go and introduce you to someone just to have a conversation, nice. open those doors. Yeah, wow. So you said earlier that there were things that you wish you'd known that you know, obviously, that you know now. Can you give us an example? Yeah, definitely. Um, as simple as a business structure. So when I first set up my business, um, I set myself up as a sole trader because I probably jumped on the web, had a look around, registered my business myself, um, went through ASIC and got everything set up and got my um, ABN. And a, there's a question there, what type of um, business are you setting up? Company, a sole trader, a partnership? Well, it's just me. So I set myself up as a sole trader. I've now got 14 staff and we can't function as a sole trader. So I had to change to a partnership and then I've had to change again to a trust and uh, just those little things that you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And, and it's okay to not know everything because you can always adapt and you can always change things just means I've had to pay a bit more money down the track to change things when it would have been a bit cheaper uh, yeah, a few years okay. ago. Yeah, because I'm I'm a sole trader and I just have made a partnership with actually a coach from, from Queensland, uh, Kyla Liotta, who's also an ex-teacher. And yeah. it's, yeah, we had to do all that paperwork. But at the time, I wasn't ready. Like, we were just both sole traders. Or she had a company and I was a sole trader. So it was fine that we did that later. But yeah, I can see further along as time, as things change, um, you probably wish you knew where you were going to end up so that you could, but don't yeah. we all wish that, and right? There's no crystal ball, most definitely. Yeah, exactly. So Steve, as you were, um, you know, as you were talking before about the, the things that you were kind of, I guess, maybe a little bit concerned about, if someone was feeling stuck or uncertain about, making this change and you called it a leap of faith, what advice would you give someone in that position? Because you're, as you say, further down the track now and you can look back and, and maybe it's hard to remember a little bit of what that felt like. But if I could just take you back there, what advice would you give to someone who's feeling stuck right now? 
Yeah, I've actually had that conversation with a few people over the last couple of years. I think now that I've really made the business a success and we're a, uh, we're a national brand now and really well known around the education sector. Um, and I've had a few people reach out and go for coffee and, and have lunch and have conversations about that exact thing. And my advice is really back yourself and have a go. We are so lucky and so privileged as educators we can go back to education. Yeah, if we go and spend 12 months finding ourselves and trying this new business venture or trying to move into a new workspace and a new industry that uh, you know sounds really good, if it doesn't work out, we can go back into the education sector. Um, your, your skill set's still going to be there and you're going to be welcome back and you can hold your registration for a period of time as well, which is wonderful. So first of all, back yourself. If you want to do it and it's keeping you awake at night and you're thinking about it going, oh, do I or do I not? Yeah. I would suggest that go and do it. Yeah, If you're really on the fence, give it a crack because you can step back. Yeah. And I've spoken to people who have been teaching for 30 years, 35 years. And there's so many educators, wonderful educators, who have been in that same work environment for so long in the same school. Um, mm. I, I would always recommend to have a crack. Like I, I don't want wonderful teachers leaving the system because my kids are coming through and we need you guys. But <laughs> if it keeps you awake at night, have a crack and really give it a go and back yourself. Because if you really want to make it work, you will make it work. You'll do everything you need to to make it work. Nice one. And for our international listeners, have a crack means to try it. Give it a go. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, Steve, if I was a teacher somewhere in Australia and I was looking at my, say, grade three class and thinking, these guys really need to learn more than I can teach them. I don't have all the skills or the knowledge to teach them science in, in the way that they really need. How would I get hold of you? Yeah, so please consider reaching out to uh, the team at Street Science. So what I've done when I first stepped out, it was just myself for a few years. Um, over the last seven to eight years, what I've done is I've hired scientists. So brought um, scientists with their PhDs out of laboratories and I've brought teachers out of high schools and primary schools to build a team. And we are now, we know ourselves as science communicators and we come out to schools face-to-face. -face, so we've got a whole range of, our virtual stuff that we do right around the country as well. And we can ramp up that year three curriculum for you. We can come out a few fireballs to teach about um, states of matter. Then we can set up a science lab in the hall. Students stick on their safety glasses. We bring all the chemicals and the risk assessments and everything with us. And the kids start mixing chemicals and they're, they're exploring those science concepts by actually doing science. And it's all about the students. Um, which I feel is the best way to learn because they can then relate those concepts to something that they've done and felt and actually seen happen. So streetscience.com.au, that's the spot to go, have a read and, uh, right. and see what wow. you can find. Give us a bell anytime. That's amazing. So just for the listeners, that, that'll be in the show notes, the link that you just said. So streetscience.com.au, if you're driving and you're hearing this, don't forget that. Um, but uh, you just said something that really um, piqued my interest. You said that you come with the, um, all the material safety data sheets already filled in and carry, like, so in other words, the teacher doesn't have to do this whole truckload of work to get the chemicals into the school because I know, I remember myself that, that I should, probably shouldn't dob in my colleagues, but that we would, you know, hear that there was going to be an audit by 
whoever used to come and audit us for chemicals and we'd go, oh, quick, get the, you know, the spray and wipe and the, um, I don't know, the hand sanitizer or whatever's in the school that we're not meant to have and just go and stick it in your car, boot for a couple of days and then we'll bring it back in because we needed it. Like there were things that we were using all the time, but they weren't on the list and it was such a hassle to update the list. We just quite quickly shoved them in, in our cars, which I shh, don't tell anyone. But, um, but, you know, so that would be such a gift to know that you didn't have to worry about all that mounds of paperwork to get you to come into the school. Yeah, definitely. And I touched on it earlier with those, um, some of the reasons why I wanted to get out. And, and one of those was the inability to teach science in that explosive, um, really reactive way that the kids love. And as high school science teachers, um, the red tape, which is really important, don't get me wrong, and the OHS is so important, but there are so many things that highly competent teachers just simply aren't allowed to do anymore. So we fill that void. We come in, we've, we've got highly trained staff who know how to handle all this stuff. They do it every single day rather than a teacher doing it once a semester. We're doing this stuff every single day. We've got the risk assessments. We've really thought about the uh, reducing hazards and all that sort of stuff, and we present it in a way that the the kids get so excited about it and the teachers are getting upskilled as well. They're learning um, so much at the same time. And all of a sudden the schools who would normally say, no, we can't let that happen. They can actually have a look at the paperwork and go, Oh, this is a better way of doing it rather than one teacher in a classroom of 25 kids. Let's do it in a better way. And we bring all that. And just to have your expertise and knowledge and experience would be such a, I mean, schools bring in all kinds of, incursions now so why not science I just never thought of it I was a drama and you know art teacher so I'd bring in a cartoonist or a you know um, we we had a um, someone helping us make puppets and we had music people come in but I never thought about the science side of it that's awesome yeah and and it also breaks up obviously the person who's presenting that content because we know the kids do see the same face day in day out and the teachers often say to us hey watch out for Max and watch out for Sally and and these kids, because they might be a bit disengaged today, but just having a fresh face in front of them yeah. with that uh, contextualised learning, student-centred stuff, they often bail us up at the end of the day and say, mate, I can't believe how um, engaged so-and-so was because of that way that we roll in, teach at high energy, and then we leave resources as well for the teacher, which is right. important too, because they want to continue that learning. Yeah, and just continue those discussions and that understanding more about that learning that's happened. Awesome. Yeah. So... Um, Steve, you've been out for eight years. Any regrets? Yeah, I no regrets. I'm really glad that I made the decision. Um, plenty of people said, Steve, have a go. Go for it, mate. Good on you. And pat me on the back. Plenty of people said, mate, are you sure? What you're, what you're going and, and having a go at here? But no regrets. What I do miss, however, are the relationships that you build with your students and with the families and with the community. So these days I'll work with 150 kids a day, but we come in, we do our job and we leave and we're at another school the next day. Whereas in the old job, especially doing behavior management, you'd really get to know those kids. And, and I do miss that because that's a big part of education because we genuinely care about the kids and their outcomes. So I miss that, but I wouldn't change a thing. I love, um, I'm still in education, but I'm just getting to do it in a different way. Nice. So, Steve, as we wrap this up, what would you say 
is the legacy that you want to leave in the world? It's, uh, it's very um, tightly bound to education. It's about changing the way kids learn science. So we very clearly saw a decline in enrolment numbers in senior sciences and therefore university enrolments. So by getting into primary schools, making science really fun, really engaging, firing the kids up as much as the teachers when we come out for our incursions, I want to be known as the bloke who set up street science and that business has changed the way kids perceive education, the way they think about learning um, and that they get excited about it um, and hopefully they go on and become scientists and, uh, and change the world in the future. That sounds like an amazing legacy to leave in the world. Steve Liddell, thank you so much for coming on the Get Out of Teaching podcast today. Elizabeth, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for the chat. You've been listening to the Get Out of Teaching podcast presented by Larksong Enterprises with your host, Elizabeth Diakos. Do you know someone else who could benefit from hearing more stories of hope and transition from teachers all around the world? Please take a moment to share this and other episodes via your podcast app. Each share helps me reach listeners just like you who can benefit from this content. The Get Out of Teaching podcast is proud to be part of the Experts on Air podcast network. For show notes and other resources, please visit larksong.com.au forward slash podcast.